that an actual song? I think so. Uh, uh, I, it wasn't being recorded at the time, but... Mm. Uh, tell me if Fandango is a real song. Hey, no, it... Okay, what was it? It goes like this. I can feel it <laughs> in the air tonight, in the bear tonight, Fandango. I think if you and Little Richie did a duet, it would be perfect. Isn't he dead? Little Richie? Did he just die? Uh, I don't know if he's dead. I don't think he is. Man, I'm pretty sure Little Richie just died okay. within the last few weeks. I know his daughter was on that trashy TV show. Yeah, little Nicole. Mm. And then she had a heroin problem, right? Yeah. Did I yeah. T- did we talk about a? I finally finished the Last Dance. You finished it. Finished it. Yeah, it's very actually very good. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I think the whole documentary proves that yes, Michael Jordan might have been exceedingly good. Might have been the best ever. But he couldn't win without. The coach. Without Phil. Uh, without Scottie Pippen. Without Pip. And without Horace Grant at one point. Without and then without, without Dennis Rodman. Psycho Dennis Rodman. <laughs> man, poor Dennis. Even like, Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr, too. The, man, uh, it was crazy because I watched that and he was talking about how his dad was assassinated yeah. in uh, Lebanon and then that shit blew up over there. Right. Same city. Right. Like, within a few days of me watching it and then that happening, <laughs> I'm like, Jesus. You caused it. I've, I can't I was like, believe I've never, it. I don't even know if I've even ever heard of that city no. prior to that. <laughs> no. Although I think there is a restaurant right over here that is named that. Beirut? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good food, actually, Yeah, it looks, over there. you know, my brother, Chad, was like, because we drove past it when I was going to get my new phone during the COVID times. Mm. Actually, it was right after... The George Floyd times. Okay. All when right. things were boarded up and shut down and stuff like that. So we went to all the T-Mobiles in St. Paul. Couldn't find one. Ended up all the way over here. Mm. Robert. And uh, he, as we were driving past, I was like, dude, gross. Who would ever eat there? That's gross. He's like, don't even don't even talk shit. That's some good-ass food. That is, I, it is surprisingly good. It's a little spendy, but it's. I thought it was good. That's all um, that matters. Man, I could eat baklava. Oh, baklava. I wonder how bad it is for you. Has to be the worst, right? <laughs> it just feels like layers of honey and then phyllo dough and oh. nuts. and It's so good, but it's probably horrible for you. There's no way it's good for you. There's <laughs> not a chance. Anything that tastes good is bad. You think so? Absolutely. I have a broccoli recipe I make quite frequently, and I don't think it's that bad for you. It's broccoli, olive oil, salt, pepper... Uh, apple cider vinegar. That all sounds good. And what else? What am I missing? Like gallons of cheese? (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, you bake it, okay? You bake it after you uh, marinate it or whatever in the olive oil. After about 20 minutes, pull it out, put pepper and like grated Parmesan cheese on it and stir it up. It's very good. It's like really salty and peppery. It's really good. You know, I freak with asparagus for that exact reason. Really? The Parmesan treatment? All of it. Yeah, Mm. it's so good. I don't know, like grated Parmesan. I don't. Is it really bad for you? I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna say no. <laughs> I'm gonna say there's not enough on there for mm. it to be bad for you. I could see if you're eating a whole block of Parmesan. But... Right. I used to get uh, the balls of the fresh mozzarella, mm. and I would eat them like apples on my way home from the grocery <laughs> store. I remember in school, I watched the chef like making it, kind of, and it looks like he's just like tugging on balls. Yeah. Like he's just pulling it, <laughs> yeah. like. 
Probably his wife did to him at night. Though. Hey, ooga! <laughs> you heard it here first. He, uh, yeah, he was a big boy. Oh, he that was a chef. Big... I, I think his last name is literally Sludge. Whoa. Yeah, Sledge maybe Sludge or Sledge, but either uh, are awesome. Yeah, he, uh, he was an interesting character. Did he teach he you? Like, he was like, yeah, yeah. We had a class. But he's one of those guys who's like really cocky for some reason, but mm. I don't know why he is. But he's really cocky about Fake it till you make it. Yeah. I, I don't know. He, he like, talks shit about his family members' food at, like, their eat- their get-togethers and stuff. It was kind of funny. Jesus. He's he like, just roast them? Yeah. He's like, my my sis- or my or wife's uh, aunt has is supposed to have this awesome salad. I think it tastes like shit. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't got some spring yeah. mix. I'm like, okay, you're a high-end chef of course you're gonna talk to yeah. about everybody's but i feel like chefs like easy food too just like everybody else i think they do and i like i think they know how to make it the most flavorful the yeah. easiest way possible yeah i i mean i'm sure they do but i'm sure they get annoyed where you ask them they're a chef and they're like oh can you come cook me dinner like go I, eat a dick yeah i i don't really want to do that man. but doctors they get the same thing like yeah. hey what's wrong with me <laughs> like well make an appointment and pay me the uh that remind me of the kirby enthusiasm episode i watched not that long ago where larry's like hey can you just look at this thing on my back nobody will do it <laughs> he's in the hospital and the guy's like okay yeah i'll look at it. he's like no no it's fine and then you see him arresting him because he's an escape mental patient. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. Yes, um, Larry is a king. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about this week? It's Albert Fish Part 2. Hell yeah. My name is Adam. Sitting across from me, ever as ever, is uh, the one and only Cody. Hello. Hello, Adam. How was your week? Oh, it was great, Cody. Beat you to the punch there. Yeah, I don't even know what to... I locked up like a C-3PO. Nobody asked me how my week was, (laughs) ever. That's enough. Uh, Let me see. What did I do, Cody? I watched... Oh, I'm caught up on Better Call Saul now. Season four. Really? I gave up after season two. Why would you do that? I I don't know. I kind of like... I wanted to root for him, and then he kind of like went down a bad path, and it was hard to root for him. Well, keep watching. Okay. Yeah. He makes he comes back. Absolutely, and you know he ends up as Saul Goodman on yeah. Breaking Bad, who is yeah, not yeah. a good guy. Either. Yeah. Okay. I well, he he wasn't a good guy, but he was kind of being forced to be even worse. Yes, by and he the was cartel. Lovable. Yeah. yeah, I loved him, what's and I still actor, love him. What's that actor's name? Bob Odenkirk. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He. <laughs> He's in a one or two Curb episodes, I think. A bunch, I think. Yeah, yeah. he's the foreign star. Well, he was. <laughs> he, him and Dave Cross used to be a comedy team called Mr. Show. Really? Not a comedy team. They had a show on HBO. Is David Cross still alive? Dave Cross. I just watched his comedy special. Weirdly enough, are you preparing for the Rob Schneider comedy special coming to oh, Netflix? Oh my god! <laughs> he's some. Oh yeah, because Sandler's still tied in with Netflix, so. That makes sense how Schneider's getting stuff. Have you watched The Real Rob on Netflix? Uh Uh-uh. You should watch that. With him. Rob Schneider saw Curb Your Enthusiasm and thought, hey, I could make something like that. So So basically, yes. Okay, but I'm guessing it's horrible. It's not as good. It's horrible. Can be good. good. Yeah. I I don't know. I just, uh, like on my Netflix app, sometimes you can see what's coming up, and I'm like, oh, maybe they'll put a good movie that I'm into. Of course, never happens. That's not going to happen. But, uh... Yeah, I seen his stand up popping up on there. I'm like, I don't know, man. I bet Maybe. you he's gonna. I bet you he's gonna reference. Uh, what's the one thing he says all the time? 
Uh, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> uh, all right, Cody, why don't you get us back into this fish bastard? Let's do it. You know what? I want to speak about one thing real quick before we get in here. I think that's a good idea. I was So yesterday we dropped the Adrenochrome episode of Sub-D, uh-huh. right? Subliminal Deceptive Podcast. And I was thinking about this. Now, anybody who thinks that actually exists, Mr. Albert Fish likes to drink blood and torture kids. <laughs> So he should be getting all the adrenochrome possible, and all you have to do is Google a picture of him and see that he clearly is not aging gracefully. No, (laughs) no, he looks real bad. (laughs) Yeah. Oh God. But anyway, picking up from where we left off last week, as we all know, Albert Fish is a very deranged and sadistic psychopath. Mm -hmm. So why don't we talk about perhaps? The most unsettling of his atrocities, at least for the time period, bigamy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're absolutely right. Look, you know, they they don't play with bigamy here. Now, Fish himself claimed to have remarried three times after his separation from his wife, Anna, but Anna and Fish were never officially divorced, Hmm. even though it seems like... Anna had married the border John Straub. There, there is some loose, yeah, loose marriages going on here. I, like, I'm guessing there wasn't record keeping, so you could just sign paperwork and claim you're married. Sure. I, I don't know. Go I down me- to the courthouse and say, "Me and Stroby are married." I remember, like Marianne Cotton, she right. was married a bunch, right. and it's like nobody double checked anything, <laughs> so they're just like, "Okay, I guess you're married now." Now, while Albert claims that there were three new wives, as far as I can see, we only have confirmation of two women whom believe that they had married Albert Fish. My best guess is that Fish is probably just delusional and maybe thinks he married a third person. Or hoping it'll add to his legend or something like that. He, now, here's the other thing, too. We'll, we're going to talk about it way more in part three, but he like meets, he writes women... Hoping to marry them, but they don't marry him. So maybe he thinks one of them agreed to marry him. I forgot about this whole plot line. Holy shit, I'm so excited. Yeah. So uh, we're going to start off in 1930, where Fish seemed to really take off with writing letters to people, (laughs) placing ads. We're getting right there already. (laughs) Well, we're going to talk about the wives, then we're going backwards to the murders. Okay. Yeah, these fucking ads and his looking for companionship shit is so strange. Yeah, basically, I don't know if he was signed up for the matrimonial classifieds, but that's how he found the next two women we're about to talk about here. All right. Now- like I said, I want to keep in mind we're going we're starting at 1930 and when he's marrying these women, he has already killed the three children and most recently was Grace Bud in 1927. But okay. that will be in part 3. We'll get way into her. Gotcha. So, we'll start off with definitely the most disturbing story uh from Albert Fish's new wife. Starting in January of 1930, a widow by the name of Mrs. I think it's Myrta, right? Myrta. Myrta or Myrta? Murda, maybe. Okay. Let's go murder. Mis- murder. Ja- <laughs> now, What's that guy's name? Ja Rule. Oh, murder, murder, murder. No. Murder. Murder, Inc., right? I know the song, but I cannot Well, that's think his, about like, it. tag. That's oh. one of his tags, or ad-libs. Wasn't he just called. a suburban boy? Uh, I know that we need to call Ja. Somebody needs to get a hold of Ja. <laughs> well, I'm sure he's From looking, Fire Festival. He's looking for help. Or he's looking for employment, I'm sure. <laughs> Okay, so I think it's Mrs. Myrta Nichols. I'm down with that. All right. 
She had placed an ad with a matrimonial agency, and when she knew it, she was the lucky one to strike Albert Fish's fancy. Woo! Now, Myrta already had seven of her own Woo-hoo! children, and one in particular named Mary Nichols, who at the who was twelve at the time, would retell her events with Albert Fish. Okay. Now, Fish would travel via train to the Nichols home in Bartlett, New York. The plan was. Fish is going to stay with them a few nights to get himself acquainted with the family and see if this could actually be a match made in heaven. That's a really weird courtship. I I guess we're blessed by social media in that aspect or cell phones. Instagram. Yeah. You can you can DM everybody. <laughs> so you don't have to like go live with somebody for around and see if it works out. Like a, a lease. It's more like a business deal at that point. It's kind of weird. Well, I guess that's what marriages were, mm. you know. Well, I mean, she is a widow with seven kids, so maybe she's <laughs> kind of just like, I'll take what I can get. It's 1930. I'm, I, we don't know how old she is, but I'm assuming she's up there a little bit. Sure. Or, yeah, yeah up there being like 31. Her, her birth and years are almost up. <laughs> yeah, I forget that uh, Anna had their six or seven kids by the time she was 30. So maybe... <laughs> Now, the first night together, everything on the surface seemed fairly normal. But the second night it w- is when the games began, mm. literally. Mm. Now, Fish offered to teach the kids a few games that he thought might be a little fun. Oh, like Monopoly? <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little, <laughs> like Uno? A little more hands-on than those games. Oh, yeah. like Twister. Okay. <laughs> They're playing Pokemon Red together, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm only Magikarp. That's the only one I'm in. Or Ponita. Ponita. Yeah, I'm only going to be him. I have the blue version. You have the red version. <laughs> we need to get complete our Pokédex. <laughs> the first game Fish introduced was... Buck, buck, how many hands up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't like the name of that. <laughs> Fish started off by going into a different room, removing all of his clothes... Whew putting on his super tight brown trunks, Mm. and then returning to where the family was at. He then got on his hands and knees and handed the kids a paint stick that he used to stir paint with that was about uh, two foot long and six inches wide. So it's Hmm. a pretty big stick. Yeah, I'd say. Then the kids, one at a time, would sit upon his back with their backs towards his face so that he could not see what they were doing. Now the kids would have to put up a certain number of fingers... And Fish would have to guess the correct number of fingers. For the number of fingers that he got wrong, the child would have to hit him that number of times with the large paint stick. Ah. Now, this might sound weird, but Albert wasn't very good at guessing the numbers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, 20. No, (laughs) Albert, I only have 10 fingers, you dickhead. You weird pervert. (laughs) I can imagine... Someone asking me, like, this would have to be childhood trauma, right? What, buck, buck, how many hands up? Like, yeah, Like, sitting I think on so. someone's back and, like... Flagellating them? Yeah, I I didn't... I'm guessing they were spanking his butt, but it kind of sounded like they are just hitting him wherever. Yeah, that's. I think he likes that. <laughs> um, Here's the thing, too. Yeah. He's teaching them math. He's teaching mm. them simple subtraction. That is true. I I guess I don't... Okay, so uh, Anna, their daughter, is 12... So I don't know if she's the oldest or the youngest of the kids, but um, you think she, well, I don't know. Should she know this is not appropriate? Yes. <laughs> Wait, she is 12. She's 12 when this is happening right she here. She has to be the oldest. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, probably. But 
I feel like she would know there's something a little strange about this game. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, they would keep playing it um, as days progressed, and sometimes they would substitute the paint stick for a hairbrush. Mm. They would hit them with a bristle side and sometimes with a flat side. Now, after the first night, they would play that first game for about an hour, and then Fish told them, why don't we play another super fun game he called Sack of Potatoes Over. This, this game, is the one I remember. Yeah, this game makes zero... The name of it makes zero sense <laughs> at all. Uh, now, this game was very different, but always required one thing that was the same from Buck Buck, how many hands up? Those ultra-thin, tight brown trunks. Right. Game Master has to be wearing them, apparently. Now, what Fish would do was place one of the children over his shoulder... And they would have to scratch his back while sliding down. <laughs> like, I I don't... So You'd have to think something's weird about that. Yeah. And the name <laughs> of the game, is it because as he puts the sack of potatoes, sometimes it slides down his back or what? Well, maybe that's how he unloads potatoes. He throws it over his back and just drops it. Oh, know. and then it sl- slices him up on the way down. What? But why do they have to act like a cat, like just scratching? I don't know. That's weird. But anyway, uh, Mary later said this. By the time we would get through playing, why, his back would be red. (laughs) Yeah. I can imagine. Cats scratching the shit out of you, or kids scratching the shit out of you, I can imagine. With little poop under their fingernails and stuff. Yucky. Now, Fish had one final game he liked to play with the nickels. Uh, Mary said... He brought a large package of pins with him, and he told my sister and I one evening to see if we could stick those pins <laughs> in our fingernails right up there, just as far as they could get. And he gave my sister and I one, and before we even had any stuck into our fingers, he had stuck a pin in his finger, too. <sighs> Apparently, fish would stick these needles as deep as they could go in all of his fingers. So, it sounded like... He handed them, and then by the time they turned around, he already had them all in his fingers. Like, girls, you ready to play now? <laughs> that really makes me queasy. Yeah. I, I was mean- rewatching Breaking Bad this week, Ooh. and the scene where like Je- er, where um, Jesse tries heroin for the first time with what's-her-name. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I had to turn away. I was, like, about to pass out when they were tying off and putting the needle in. I could like, never be an like, IV drug user. Did they inject... Uh, in their arms? or Yeah. We, okay, so if you saw someone jamming needles under their fingernails. Oh, and you know when you go to the doctor and they blood test your finger? They prick yeah, it yeah, and yeah, squeeze yeah. it? You don't like that? I have to look away. I can't look. <laughs> you know, I I always think back to, like, when you accidentally, like, pull something underneath your finger just oh. a little too deep and it just hurts for, like, all, all day. <laughs> yeah. I hate that. That's the worst. And you're sticking needles in there. <laughs> I mean, maybe he thinks he's Wolverine or something. Uh. I don't know. But anyway, according to Mary, Fish had a very sad look on his face when he realized that the girls weren't quite as excited to play this particular (laughs) game. When Fish asked why they weren't having fun, the girls simply told him that it hurt just a little bit too much to play. Yeah, we don't want to play pincushion, Albie, (laughs) you fucking freak. (laughs) Now, Mary said that every night after they played their games, Fish had a certain ritual he compulsively would have to do Every single time. Yikes. Fish would go into the bathroom, take all of the toilet paper off of the roll, place it in the middle of the floor, and start a fire. Oh. Now, the first night he did it, they didn't notice he was doing it until smoke started bellowing out of the bathroom door. Then the kids quickly got their mother. She entered the bathroom and told Albert, 
put out that goddamn fire, but he just stood there. He wouldn't do it. So the family themselves had to go get water to put out the fire that he started. We don't know why he's doing it. He's just like, he just does it like compulsively every single night. Okay, after after the first toilet paper fire, he's gone. (laughs) I don't want him as my stepdad. I don't want him as my new husband. It's funny. He he does kind of act like a cat. Okay, so he gets on all fours, right, in one game. He he likes to be scratched down his back the second game, and then the third game he likes to take the toilet paper roll off of the roller. So unroll like a cat. it off. Yep. Maybe he thinks he's a house cat. Oh, poor now, Albert. <laughs> now after all of the creepy games and weird things Fish had been doing, I think it's pretty clear most of us wouldn't consider him husband material. Yeah, get the boat, kid. <laughs> but after just ten days, Myrta Nichols agreed to marry Albert Fish. Although, while we don't know for certain, it appears that once they were married, he didn't come around to see the family much anymore. (laughs) So he, like, I don't know why he did. He, like, got married and then just, like, mission accomplished and he took off. It's very Mm, strange. So, oh, less suspicion if you're a fucking family man, if you're a married man. Although he does write Mary, or, yeah, Mary in prison. When he's in prison, because he uh, really likes her. Uh-huh. Weird. So, they always fixate on. <laughs> yeah. Now, the reason for him distancing himself from the Nichols family could be because sometime shortly after their marriage in the 1930s, he had discovered another lady from presumably the exact same matrimonial agency. Mm-hmm. Her name was Estelle Wilcox. Well, that's a classy name. Who was at the time around 60 years old and Fish would have been 61 years old. Mm. It's a nice, nice little courtship here. Mm-hmm. Now, Estella Wilcox was a housemaid from Waterloo, Iowa. Shout out. Who must have uh, moved to New York. Josh, my cousin Josh, lived in Waterloo for quite a while. Did he? He did. The bustle, the hustle and bustle of the big city? He, well, for Iowa, it's pretty small. I mean, it's, it's okay. I've heard of Waterloo, it's Iowa. It's like... Uh, it's small. Have you been to Rochester, Minnesota? I sure have. It's smaller than that. It's probably like if you were to put South St. Paul as its own city, maybe. Away from... Yeah. I got you. Yeah. yeah. Now, we don't know exactly when they got married, but they would only be married for about two months. <laughs> Within one week of fish living with Estelle, she noticed he was doing something very strange. He began placing classified ads in a local newspaper offering work for young women. As Estelle would later say, he certainly did not have any work (laughs) for the young women to do, and she still has no idea why he's doing it. Like, I really don't even know why he's doing it. He's not really interested in young girls, really, Right. right? Like, it sounded like teenage girls. Strange. I know. He's weird, man. But after only a few weeks together, Albert Fish completely disappeared. But Estelle said she was glad he was gone because he was clearly out of his fucking mind. Dodged a bullet. But we don't exactly know what else happened between Fish and Estelle. She just said, he's really crazy, and I don't want to talk about it. Nice, yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's lucky for Estelle. She knew... She's from she's from Iowa. She's seen crazy, and she, she knows, knows this crazy. motherfucker is crazy. Not that she would have been a potential victim, but just no. It's nice not to have to hang out with weirdos. Here's the interesting thing: he's clearly a pedophile, right? Yes. And but he like compulsively keeps getting married. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand his connection. 
like why he does it. It doesn't make any sense, right? Is it like the two halves? He wants to be a godly, regular man, yeah. but he's also has to fucking kill kids. I don't. That's the weird thing about him. He has like so many conflicting things that don't make any sense. <sighs> that's what I makes him such a good boogeyman, I guess. <laughs> that's true. Well, with that out of the way, I think it's time to start diving into the confessed murders that Albert Fish claims to have committed. Okay. So from this point forward, I will attempt to build a proper timeline from the beginning of his murders leading to his eventual downfall. Now, we'll start off talking a little about the problem New York was having in the early 1900s with child abductions and kidnappings. (laughs) It was so bad, it actually had garnered the nickname... The kidnapping situation. Jesus. As it got closer and closer to the Great Depression, the more frequent the kidnappings happened. It became so bad that President Roosevelt essentially called for a war against it. Now, most of the time, the abductions or kidnappings that happened were soon accompanied by a ransom note. Okay, so it was a... It was a... uh, Economic-based crime wave, more so than, like getting them to be sex slaves or labor addicts or whatever. There's two things here. So yes, um as they like the like Harold Schechter's kind of leaning towards with the Great Depression coming and people are don't have money and everything. They thought this was the only way they could get money. Oh, okay, Mexico, like right? Said, what? That's what they do in Mexico, kidnap rich people's kids and Oh, then... yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the interesting thing about this is and I'm going to we're going to list a bunch of names here. It's adults and kids. Mm-hmm. So, and the other thing is, is I don't know why why Harold Schechter does this, but he essentially makes it sound like this is like if you were to take Escape from New York, but we're in the early 1900s, but it's all pedophiles and there's just kids everywhere. <laughs> like he literally makes it sound like kids are being killed and molested like on a regular basis and in this time period there's only two types of people in new york children and pedophiles i swear like if you read the book that's what he makes you feel like when you're reading it it's like gangland yeah he's uh, i swear to god it's like every page is a new pedophile fucking story it's insane listen they're the biggest monsters out there i don't know if like the early 1800s was flooded with creepy old men but i don't I don't know. It's just it's very weird. Now, in June of 1933 alone, there were 12 large profile kidnappings, (laughs) which included John J. O'Connell Jr., a member of the New York State's most powerful political families, August Luer, a 78-year-old banker from Alton, Illinois, John... Jake the Barber Factor, a Chicago stock promoter. He's a murderer. (laughs) Jake the Barber? Have you heard of him? No, but he's either a pro wrestler or he cuts people's throats. How do you go from John to Jake? That's what I I was That is strange, yeah. (laughs) Dr. Walter Hedberg, a prominent Minnesota chiropractor. Hey. Uh, Charles F. Urchel, a millionaire (laughs) oil man from Oklahoma City. Eh, That's all right, then. I remember Jordan talked about this guy. William Ham Jr., (laughs) a St. Paul brewer. Yeah. I remember he wanted to cover this. Yeah. And yeah, this it's crazy that two Minnesota people this happened to. That's great. An unarmed motion picture actress targeted by Oklahoma gangster Charles Pretty Boy Floyd. Wow. So yeah, there was a lot. It wasn't a safe time to be uh, anywhere. If you had money, you better be hiding. Wow. Because you're going to get fucking abducted. That's nuts that 
okay, actually, maybe it's not that nuts. 1933, New York, Illinois, Minnesota, mm. pretty big mob activity. Well, I mean, 33 is like we're starting the Great Depression, right? <sighs> yep. So, yeah. Criminal are... enterprises are running roughshod. And the other thing is is that Albert Fish, because he's doing it for his own sexual gratification, I don't think the cops necessarily knew what they're looking for. Fuck yeah. They're looking because for money. They're, they're looking for, for people that are kidnapping for money, not for yeah. people that are kidnapping to fuck little boy butts. Yeah, it's so... Uh, it throws another wrench in the case. Love it. Well, no, I don't. I wish they found him before he killed <laughs> yeah. any, anybody. But like I said... While all these people are predominantly adults, children were obviously targeted as well for ransom money, uh, which included the case that would really overshadow most of the other child abductions, including Grace Budd, Hmm. was the March 1st, 1932 abduction of the Lindbergh baby. Yes. So that one, but it also brought a lot of focus on the child abduction problem as well. So it gets really bad, and it's good, kind of. Man, that was like the most famous baby on Earth. Yeah, it's... But the thing is, I don't think people really understood how bad the abduction problem was. Until that that baby got taken. And then it's like, okay, we gotta be really careful. I hate to say it, Mm. but that's the the George Floyd of this... of the kidnappings. That was the awakening. And uh, I, I read the guy who they arrested, like, it's just some random German guy, too, right? For the, the he abducted and murdered the baby. Oh, yes, 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 just a rando. Yeah. No, I thought you were talking about George Floyd. I no, was no, like, no, 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 the guy who abducted the <laughs> Flinberg baby. But I'm saying, like, he just was a guy who really wanted money. Yes. Basically, yep. so. Desperation. But, uh, yeah, I didn't say it's right. It's just people do crazy shit when they're desperate. <sighs> But anyway, uh, like we said, Albert Fish was kind of an anomaly because he would target kids for sexual gratification or whatever he did with them. And he would mainly target kids from either orphanages or low-income children. Mm-hmm. It said predominantly African-American children mm-hmm. because at that time, uh, they the cops weren't going to invest too much time looking for and them. And this time. And this time as well, yes. So uh, it's kind of interesting. He knew that way back then. You know, but I believe the three kids that he murders are all white, I believe. Um, But uh, anyway, the first murder that Fish claims to have committed was on July 14th, 1924. The victim was eight-year-old Francis McDonnell. On this particular day, Francis McDonald was simply playing on the porch of his home in Staten Island. On Staten Island. His home on Staten Island. (laughs) Okay. It's island. You're confusing me. What did okay. I say? You said in Staten Island. On Staten Island. Okay. That's the thing. No, it was supposed to be a joke because oh. anytime you say in Staten Island to somebody, they're going to say, no, on Staten Island. Do you have to say on if it's a uh, island? Do you know about Cape Cod? <laughs> no. Same thing. Oh, is it? If you say, oh, I was in Cape Cod yesterday, they'd be like, on Cape Cod. Oh, it's a cape. That is a bit too much. Whoa. I guess we've grown we've grown up in a landlocked That's the problem. state, so we don't understand these problems. <laughs> That's I guess. the thing. We don't. We have no access to the sea. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Francis McDonald's just playing on his porch around two p.m., and his mother just so happened to walk outside to check on him. This was when they noticed a creepy bow-legged man Ugh. looking dirty with his gray hair and gray mustache walking down the middle of the road. Mm. They noticed that his hands were constantly, nervously moving. 
He was clenching and unclenching them. Now, as he passed by, he looked at Francis's mother, tipped his hat, and continued walking down the street until he was finally out of sight. Francis's mother later said, He came shuffling down the street, mumbling to himself, making queer motions with his hands. <laughs> I'll never forget those hands. I shuddered when I looked at them. I shudder every time I think of them. How they open and shut, open and shut, open and shut. I've never heard... I've never been so creeped out by someone moving their hands. <sighs> but I just envision like these really bony, little, uh, little brown, brown spotted hands. Just... <laughs> anyway, later that same afternoon, Francis, his brother Albert, and their three schoolmates, Eddie, Tommy, and Jimmy Donovan were playing in the street. That's a very Irish Jimmy family, Donovan. right? <laughs> well, I think all three of them are Donovans. Eddie, Tommy, and Jimmy Donovan. <laughs> That's a tally. Whoops. <laughs> uh, they were playing with Francis's favorite toy, a white rubber ball with circus animals printed on it. Oh, hell Pretty yeah. Sweet. That's the 30s. <laughs> now, this 20s. Is... <laughs> now, this is when the creepy gray-haired old man returned and seemingly flagged Francis over or something and get his attention because Francis would eventually go over to see what he wanted. Bad move. Now, his friends and brother did notice that Francis went over to talk to the gray-haired man, but they didn't notice when they both quickly disappeared. The last person to spot Francis alive was their neighbor named George Stern, who saw Francis and the creepy gray-haired tramp heading into the Charlton Woods. Now... This wasn't weird for children to go into the Charlton Woods and play, but heading into the woods with an old man was just plain creepy. Yeah, you're not supposed to, unless they're your daddy or your grampy. Not some bow-legged old shit. Let me tell you this. Now, like every other single witness we will hear hear from who spotted fish going off with a child in this time period, they always seem to just assume it was his grandpa... Or some other older relative. Yep. They didn't ask any questions after that. And sixty-one-year-old piece of shit. That's I, that's how they I do mean, it. I mean, I I I guess maybe when you're even young, you look old in this time period. Like <laughs> you can't tell the difference between like someone who's thirty and someone who's like sixty-five. They all look the same. Same same level of road weariness. Like, can you imagine if they had Tinder back in oh. back in this time period? It's like. Like, you could lie about your... You could be 61 and claim you're 32 and nobody could tell the difference. They'd be like, hell yeah, yeah. swipe right on that 32-year-old <laughs> hunk. Does he have a horse and buggy? I'm down, man. <laughs> now, much later on, Fish would confess to what he had done to Francis McDonald after entering the woods together. Fish had lured the boy into following him into the woods with the promise of raisins, or that is what we believe because later during his autopsy... They found undigested raisins in Francis McDonald's stomach. Awful. Now, I know during this time period, grapes were considered to be extremely expensive, but as far as raisins, I don't know. I tried to to look it, I tried to look it up, I couldn't find like a, they had like everything but fruit prices. That's the most interesting thing. I yeah. want to know how much produce was. Well, we know, like, especially when we learn about Grace Bud in part three, like strawberries. Or like a delicacy. Right. You know, and now you can just get them willy-nilly. But, Raisins uh, had to have been the same, because that's all they are, is grapes, just dried up. So we we think that's how he enticed the young man to follow him. Awful. Now, Not even candy. <laughs> fucking raisins. Well, they, they probably didn't have much candy back then. Yeah, raisins were the candy of the time. Yeah, that was the best she could get. Once they were in the woods, Fish would strangle Francis with his own suspenders, and according to Fish, 
he was intending to dismember the body, but he believed he heard someone coming and took off deeper into the woods. Now, Francis's father was actually a local police officer, so when they noticed that his son was missing, he began searching all around for Francis along with the other police officers, but they couldn't seem to locate him. The following morning, the alarm bells were really going off in Staten Island, and a flurry of friends, neighbors, police officers, and a, a volunteer force of Boy Scouts agreed to help in the search. I guess oh, yeah. the Boy Scouts are good in this time period, huh? They're little survivalists back then. <laughs> They're not getting internet badges. <laughs> now, three Boy Scouts in particular named Henry Lazarno, Thomas Pisone, and Henry Wood uh, <laughs> were searching through the Charlton Woods when Henry Wood... Happened to trip over the body itself. Yikes. Francis McDonald's body had been lightly concealed by branches and leaves. Now, when they found his body, they had discovered that the clothing beneath his waist, his stockings, shoes, underpants, and khaki knickerbockers had been violently took off. Hmm. Now, I assume knickerbockers just mean pants. Uh, Are they your <laughs> pants or your... No, they're your shoes, right? No. Yeah, I guess they're your pants. Be- because... Like stocking shoes, like Harold Schechter says, knickerbockers or blouse for like everybody. So okay. it's like I assume I don't know. Maybe they got to be pants. Yeah, knickerbockers or pants, khaki <laughs> yeah. knickerbockers. That's got to be pants. Um, it's what Jake from State Farm State Farm is wearing. Definitely <laughs> now, Jake the butcher from State Farm. <laughs> Maybe Jake from State Farm actually killed all these kids. <laughs> now, as newspapers would later write. He had been atrociously assaulted. Mm. The suspenders he had been strangled with were so tightly wrapped around his neck it almost embedded in his flesh. Now, as you can imagine, this sent a panic all throughout Staten Island. And surprisingly, they would receive a ton of reports from people who thought they had witnessed the gray man. Mm. Now, the other thing I want to note here is I don't... They called it atrociously assaulted, but I don't think that means... There's no molestation. Okay. So he this just is killed a... him to try to, I think, once we hear about the next kid, we'll know what he really wants to do. And I don't think it's anything sexual. Atrociously him. assaulted. I'm, that's, yeah. Uh, my mind went to the worst. No, it's as far as I can tell, it's not that. Because like he said, he later confessed that he wanted to dismember him to probably eat him like okay. we know he likes to do. Yeah. Now, most of the calls they received were mostly from just women who had noticed some random creepy stranger. Okay? Better safe than sorry. Absolutely, but it's probably just some creepy dude, not however fish. <laughs> it's just me. Yeah. <laughs> we got a six foot four man with uh, a headband and blonde hair. Some, really oh, dude. At the grocery the other day, I was going to get some waters, and there was this tidy blonde girl. And she was like, hey, weirdly tall person, these waters are at the very top. I need you to get them for me. I was like, yeah, I got you. All right. Hell yeah. No problem. I, I, did you start laughing? Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. And of course, I'm going to help out. You should have just like picked her up and put her on your shoulders and like, <laughs> okay, get it your goddamn self. You have to do this yourself. <laughs> if you don't learn, you'll never learn. Okay, goddamn it. <laughs> now, uh, but 17-year-old Jenny Carlson had a very peculiar story to retell. Now, Jenny had been walking through the Charlton Woods the previous Saturday when she noticed a gray-haired man in his late 50s. Mm. She described him as unkempt, with gray hair and a thick growth of beard, (laughs) about 5'6", and wearing blue trousers, a soiled white shirt, and no coat. 
The man was eating something out of both hands with his face down and his body crunched over like an animal. Could this be Mike Ditka? Oh, this is just Mike Ditka yeah. having a sausage. Or, uh, who is the old coach for the Giants? The uh, really old guy who is really angry. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll never. <laughs> it'll never come to me now. He already got fired from the fucking Jaguars. Checks on the Jaguars because he's too angry. It'll come to me at 3 a.m. <laughs> I'll text you. Now, as Jenny crept past him, he apparently looked up and began to yell at her. In a foreign tongue, which sounded Italian. <laughs> Oh, I spaghetti, just, spaghetti. I, I just love it. Is he throwing meatballs at her? <laughs> <laughs> Meatball bombs. Let's go. He had a little guini. He had fucking fettuccine flying everywhere. Oh, I love fettuccine, man. <laughs> so Jenny began to run. So the stranger jumped up and began to chase after her. But when she got through the clearing, she noticed he wasn't following her anymore. Now, the police would eventually round up about 12 different Creeps. men <laughs> they believe were the uh, to be the perpetrator, which included a truck driver from Brooklyn who was charged with impairing the morals of minors. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but maybe, it sounds creepy as fuck. Yeah, maybe fucking a little bit of light touching or giving them cigarettes and booze or something. I, I only included these people in here because, like, how they're describing their crimes... I, it just seems really awkward. Impairing the morals of a minor. <laughs> yeah. A middle-aged man charged with trouble, troubling children in a playground. <laughs> a male music teacher who was accused of taking a young boy into the woods and talk and talk to him about sexual psychology. Sheesh, what the sheesh, fuck is sheesh, it? Sheesh. That is not where the sexual psychology classroom is at. You know? No, you got to go downstairs for that. <laughs> yeah. But... Sex, hey, let's focus on making sure the kid can play trumpet and yeah. not teach him sex sex psychology in the woods. <laughs> it's so awkward. But anyway, all of these people were cleared because they had ironclad alibis. Now, the most interesting person that confessed was Jacob Herman, mm. an escaped inmate of the New Jersey Insane Asylum. <laughs> he gave the police this story. Tuesday, I was going through the woods. I stumbled on the body. I touched it. It felt like putty. I was afraid. I ran. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. We were literally talking about the Kirby Enthusiasm episode of the Escaped Inmate. And, and it's, I forgot this was in here. But they eventually found newspaper clippings on his person, and they quickly put together that he had just read the news articles and then for some reason claimed that he did it. Weirdos. We don't know. Yeah, I I guess if he's in an insane asylum, there's yes. probably something mentally wrong with him. <laughs> It felt like putty. Ugh. Like, what the fuck? But the sad truth is that the McDonald family would not figure out what had happened to their son until Albert Fish confessed in prison in 1936. What's that, eight years later? Um, What is this? 24, 20, no, that's 12 years later. Yeah. Sheesh. I know it's it's a six-year gap between Grace Bud's murder and then the confession, so this is a really big gap here. Whew. Now, as far as we know, Albert Fish wouldn't kill his next victim until three years later on February 11th, 1927. We'll begin with four-year-old Billy Gaffney and his family living in a second-floor apartment at 99 15th Street in Brooklyn. Now, sometime around dusk, Billy was playing in the hallway of their apartment complex with three-year-old Billy Beaton. Another neighbor boy, 12-year-old Johnny McNiff. <laughs> what an interesting name. He sounds like he should be a boss on Mega Man X. Johnny McNiff. Yes. yes. Duff McWhale and Johnny <laughs> McNiff. Well, he heard the boys playing in the hall, so he went out to check out what they were doing. 
Now, Johnny was supposed to be babysitting his infant sister, so just a few minutes after he stepped out to check on the two Billy boys, <laughs> he heard her crying, so he had to go right back in his uh, apartment. Now, why this is important is because when Johnny returned, just a mere three minutes later, both of the Billies had disappeared. Whoa. Now, it just so happened that Billy Beaton's father had returned home and stumbled upon Johnny, who looked very confused as to where the two boys had gone off to. Billy Beaton's father at first was fearful. His son had taken off into the street or something. Completely natural. Oh, yeah. So he and Johnny began to search the apartment complex, yelling and screaming, trying to locate the kids. Now, when they finally reached the top floor, Mr. Beaton came upon his son just sitting there. He asked Billy, why the hell are you up here? Little Billy Beaton told him they were on the roof and... We saw chimneys and buildings and steamships. I guess that was fun for 1927, right? You see a steamship? I think I'd be okay seeing a steamship. Yeah. Maybe the Titanic's sitting out there. Oh! (laughs) Now, Mr. Beaton asked his son, where was Billy Gaffney? Is he still up on the roof? Billy Beaton just shook his head and, speaking in the manner of a three-year-old child, just said, The boogeyman took him. So, if a three-year-old kid knows you are so creepy that he calls you the boogeyman, you must be a scary son of a bitch. Yes. And obviously, Albert Fish is a ugly, scary son of a bitch. And do... And these women and other regular people, not that women aren't regular people, but they keep giving him the benefit of the doubt, it seems, uh, even though he's hideous and horrible. I think it's kind of like the thing where if you see an elderly, most people, if you see an elderly person, you know, they're struggling, you kind of instantly feel bad for him. Mm -hmm. I think that's what he goes for. Mm. He seems really brittle Mm, and The vulnerable. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Just the biggest slime ball people of all bottom feeders (laughs) now obviously the police were contacted and a citywide manhunt took place over over 350 police officers scoured the city joined by all sorts of volunteers neighbors school children and the ever so helpful boy scouts oh yeah hey they found the last one (laughs) but they wouldn't be able to locate this boy like they did with francis mcdonald now for whatever reason as we will talk about more after the murder of Grace Bud, people like to mail the parents of victims weird crank letters almost taunting them. <sighs> Literally after the disappearance of her son, Elizabeth Gaffney received letters like, My dear friends, I will be fine to boy. My son in waters, rivers, cellars. Look out. My God, want back boy. It doesn't make sense. It's like ranting of a crazy man. Or this letter. Wait. Do not appear too anxious. Your son is in safe hands. We fought for him, but I got him now. We will get the beaten boy for Billy to play with, for Billy is lonesome. Do not show this letter to anyone if you know what is good for you. Again, I say that Billy is safe, and we are experimenting on him. I want everybody to keep in mind, those letters are not from Albert Fish. Those are just (laughs) random people. Just random trolls, man. 4chan fuckers. (laughs) And when we get to Grace Bud next episode, like... They get a flurry of fucked up letters too. Like, what the f- why do? You, how do you read in the newspaper about someone getting murdered and be like, "Hmm, I better write a creepy fucking letter to him." Like, I don't know. I don't, what drugs could they be on at this point? It's like some real heartless shit. Yeah, I. Uh, it's just crazy, man. I. I don't. It just blew my mind that people would do that. But uh, I guess it's because we're not nuts. Yep. <laughs> 
Now, some of these crank letters would even contain a terribly drawn map <laughs> detailing the location of Billy Gaffney's body, and the police followed whatever leads they were given in the letters, but nothing ever led to anything concrete. One of the weirdest leads that the police decided to follow came from a building contractor and part-time hypnotist named oh boy. Henry Kab- I think it's Kabula. Kabbalah. Kabbalah. Kabbalah, I think. <laughs> but spelled weird. Yeah. Now, Henry had showed up at the Gaffney home claiming he would perform a seance and hypnotize Mrs. Gaffney's cousin, Bill <sighs> Hursting. Oh, because they share the same name or what? I get, I don't know why it had to be her cousin. Uh. I have no idea. So once it started, Hursting said, I see Billy in the spirit world. Kabbalah said, look further. I see a man. He is leading Billy by the hand. Where are they going? The man is taking Billy to 286 16th Street. (laughs) It's a red brick building, three stories, with a bakery on the ground floor. They go into the bakery and the man asks for a cup of coffee. He buys Billy some buns and has difficulty getting him to eat them. But Billy finally eats them. I'm I'm just like, if you're in a hypnotized state, why is this so important to talk about if Billy is eating the buns or not? Like, what is going on here? I, I, uh, it's just weird. But anyway, uh, his final paragraph is like really, really long, but I didn't include it all. But essentially, it takes them through a flurry of different streets and directions, the visions leading them, and they eventually land at a canal. Yikes. And as no surprise, when the police searched this canal, they couldn't locate oh, anything oh, at oh, all. Oh, you so. fucking contractor <laughs> yeah. piece of shit. <laughs> Like, oh, your boy's at the bottom of the canal. Well, you had to yell at the contractor and her own cousin. What are you yes. doing, Bill yes. Hursting? Unless he's so stupid that he can just be, like, suggested upon. He's just, like, basically a piece of silly putty against the newspaper. I. It's just so weird. Maybe they, I don't know, they couldn't have made money off of this if they didn't locate the body. I don't get it. I don't, anyway. Maybe there's a flat fee for a seance or something. <laughs> so... The family continued to remain ever so hopeful that they would be able to locate Billy Gaffney, but as we know now, they couldn't possibly have imagined what unspeakable acts Albert Fish had done to the poor boy. <sighs> now, much later on, a trolley, a trolley <laughs> conduct, uh, car conductor named Anthony Barone uh, would eventually come forward after, in his words, facing intense mental struggle with some of the details about seeing Billy Gaffney the night he had went missing. Um, Now, according to him, shortly after 7 p.m., which would have been right after Billy Gaffney went missing, an elderly man with gray hair and a gray moustache boarded his (laughs) trolley along with the young boy in a gray blouse and blue knickers. Okay. Now, the creepy old man asked Anthony if he could reach the Staten Island ferry from a certain stop. Anthony told him to take the Hamilton Air, uh, Avenue Ferry to the Battery and then the Municipal Ferry to St. George. Jesus, that's so many ferries you uh, have to take. I it's I don't know. I guess it takes four hours to get home finally. <laughs> now, I got to take three trolleys, four <laughs> ferries, and a bus. What the hell is the Battery? Battery. Wait, what battery? Well, that's what he said. You got to get on the battery. Is that a type of boat or a train or something? Oh, to the battery. No, to the battery. To so the that's battery. probably like uh, a little fortification they had back in those times, maybe. Okay. 
Okay, so but it's not I, like a again, giant Duracell battery sitting there. I don't think the Energizer <laughs> Bunny's pounding away out there. Anyway, the old man then got off of the trolley car with the young boy following behind him. As Anthony said, half dragging and half carrying, mm. then the two of them disappeared into the darkness. So... You probably should have said this right away, sir, instead of having to wait till you had a mental struggle. But at the same time, how do you know that's not a grandpa carrying a fucking shitty grandson that doesn't want to go, that is tired and wants to go to bed or something? But how do you know? How are you supposed to know? I mean, nowadays, you see this shit, people will probably beat the shit out of that old man. True, Like, Like, you're you're not going anywhere. Yeah, if you're dragging a little kid somewhere, you're getting your fucking ass. Yes. It doesn't matter how goddamn old you are. I need references, (laughs) IDs, everything on the table now, sir. I'm going to beat you to death. Now, much like Francis McDonald, they wouldn't learn the truth of what had happened to Billy Gaffney until Fish, Fish confessed in prison. Now, this is the exact letter he wrote in prison. Uh, Good luck, Adam. And I actually think, this is my opinion, I think this letter might be worse than the Gray Spud letter. I think it is, just because of how graphic he ends up getting. Yeah, but anyway. All right. Not satisfied there. I brought him to the Riker Avenue dumps. There is a house that stands alone, not far from where I took him. A few years ago, I painted this house for the man who owns it. He is in the auto wrecking business. I forget his name, but my son Henry can tell you because he bought a car from him. This man's father lives in the house. Gene, John, Henry helped paint the house. There were at that time a number of old autos along the road. I took the G-boy there, stripped him naked, and tied his hands and feet and gagged him with a piece of dirty rag I picked out of the dump. Then I burned his clothes, threw his shoes in the dump. Then I walked back and took trolley to 59th Street at 2 a.m. and walked from there home. The next day at 2 p.m. I took tools, a good heavy cat of nine tails, homemade, short handle, cut one of my belts in half, slit these half in six strips about eight inches long. I whipped his bear behind till the blood ran from his legs. I cut off his ears, nose, slit his mouth, ear to face, gouged out his eyes. He was dead then. I stuck the knife in his belly and held my mouth to his body and drank his blood. I picked up four old potato sacks and gathered a pile of stones. Then I cut him up. I had a grip with me. I put his nose, ears, and a few slices of his belly in the grip. Then I cut him through the middle of his body, just below his belly button. Then through his legs, about two inches below his behind. I put this in my grip with a lot of paper. I cut off the head, feet, arms, hands, and legs below the knee. This I put in sacks weighed with stones, tied the ends, and threw them into the pools of slimy water you will see along the road going to North Beach. Water is three to four feet deep. They sank at once. I came home with my meat. I had the front of his body I liked best. His monkey and peewees and a nice little fat behind to roast in the oven and eat. I made a stew out of his ears, nose, pieces of his face and belly. I put onions, carrots, turnips, celery, salt and pepper. It was good. Then I split the cheeks of his behind open, cut off his monkey and peewees and washed them first. I put strips of bacon on each cheek of his behind and put it in the oven. Then I picked four onions, and when the meat had roasted about a quarter of an hour, I poured about a pint of water over it for gravy and put in the onions. At frequent intervals, I basted his behind with a wooden spoon so the meat would be nice and juicy. In about three hours, it was nice and brown, cooked through. I never ate any roast turkey that tasted half as good as his sweet, fat little behind did. I ate every bit of the meat in about four days. His little monkey was as sweet as a nut, but his peewees I could not chew. I threw them in the toilet. Uh, yeah, that's, I don't, 
you kind of, I don't know if you fully remember the Grace Bud letter, but this one is bad. Yeah, this is, it just talks about him butchering the kid and eating it. Yeah, uh, the, some, a part of me kind of wonders if he could just be doing this because he likes to write despicable things to like, I don't know, I think he gets satisfaction from that, as we'll find out with his other letters that he writes, but, uh. I'm hoping that, yeah, this is like a pulpy description that he made up in order to get a reaction the the thing that i find most interesting is they never would find a single piece of clothing or of this boy's body even in those pools right but it had been eight years in between the confession and when he allegedly murdered him although he probably did it because the one boy said you have a gray-haired creepy ass old man (laughs) called the fucking boogeyman who took him so it probably was him but uh but yeah anyway now the interesting thing was is that uh mrs gaffney still held on to the hope that her son was actually alive even after hearing this confession from albert fish and they even allowed her the ability to meet with albert fish face to face after he made the uh confession in prison but when she showed up albert fish began crying and refused to see her what a pussy what a little bitch like, he made that huge confession, she showed up for answers, he just started weeping. Didn't like Manson, shit. didn't fucking Manson do that in season two of Mindhunter 2? Did he start weeping? They like, he was like begging him to show up because he was salty that they hadn't talked to him yet, and then when he showed up, he's like, I'm not, I don't want to see him, I'm not coming out of my cell. <sighs> They're all tough boys till uh, you have to face your whatever here. <laughs> now, after the murder of Billy Gaffney, a woman named... Mrs. Carlson had her own experience with Albert Fish. The following story takes place in the exact same year he had murdered Billy in 1927. A widow named Mrs. Carlson lived with her two sons in a house at 56th Street in Brooklyn. Eventually, she decided to rent out the upstairs rooms of her house for a little extra income. Mm. Now, an elderly man who she only knew by the last name of Fish and his two sons had moved in. Now, Fish, at first, was a kind-hearted old man, according to Mrs. Carlson, but soon his attitude changed, and Fish started paying a little bit too much attention to her seven-year-old son. Mrs. Carlson later said, He was always buying him candy and urging me to let him take the boy to the movies. He appeared to be such a harmless old man. Thankfully, though, Mrs. Carlson never once allowed her child to go off with him. Good job, Mrs. Carlson. I'm doing the sign of the cross over here, <laughs> like if I hit a good base hit or something. <laughs> After continuously denying Fish, uh, it seems that he wanted to deliver a little special letter for Mrs. Carlson. Oh, boy. Now, according to her, the letter was just so vile that she had to destroy it almost immediately and just never spoke of it again. But then Albert delivered two more letters, (laughs) even filthier than the last. Now, we would probably love to see what exactly these letters said, but all we know about it... She didn't save them? Or give them to a newspaper or something? She gives us a snippet of it. This is what (sighs) Mrs. Carlson would say about it later. He told me he was going to a lodge, and he expected to have a lot of things done to him. And one of the principal things would be... He would be tarred and feathered, and he wanted me to help him the next day to remove all of this. He said the lodge allowed him $20 for this procedure, and he would double it to $40 if I would help him. After these last two letters, Mrs. Carlson told Fish 
He's got to pack up his shit and leave. <laughs> and Miss Carlson said this happened next. He became very angry and abusive. He shook his fist at me and shouted that he would put a curse on me for life. <laughs> what the fuck? Is he, how is he putting a curse on him? Well, he does think he's yeah, Jesus at some point. But it, it's funny because he talks about, like, now he wants to be tarred and feathered. He talks about nudist colonies a lot. <sighs> I don't know what the hell that's about. He loves exhibitionism, man. I guess. He's just fucking... Wa- man, why would you want to get tarred and feathered? Doesn't that hurt? That uh, Well, he loves it. <laughs> I I mean, look at his goddamn autopsy. <laughs> uh, after Fish and his, th- his sons were gone, naturally Mrs. Carlson went upstairs to see what her upstairs looked like. <laughs> and oh boy, she was in for a little surprise. <laughs> She first found his bloody nail-studded paddles, but that might not have been the worst of it. Mrs. Carlson found something she would later describe as a little mess or human dirt (laughs) sitting in the middle of the bedroom (laughs) floor. It was so funny because in court she's testifying, right? And they're trying to get her to say what it is. Poop. She won't say poop. <laughs> Finally, like, do you mean number two? She's just like, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Number She's two. just a proper woman. Okay? I love she it. Doesn't wanna, she doesn't want to say poopy. Nowadays, it'd be like, yeah, that fucking weirdo shit on my floor. There's a big-ass dump laying on <laughs> Here's the other thing. Why is he just pooping in the floor? Like, maybe uh, did he poop and leave, or was it already there? How do you did think it was an anger there? poop? A poop and, and bail? Maybe that's how he cursed her. He pooped and cursed the poop. To I don't think he it. understands bathrooms. <laughs> he thinks that's no. where you put the fire. Yeah. He thinks that the, maybe, the toilet paper is, fo- is fire paper. Maybe he gets cold when he's using the bathroom, so oh. he starts a little fire oh. to warm himself up while he's going. And that comforts him. Maybe yeah. the crackling of the fire will <laughs> it'll like drown it out to the outside people. Mi- if you light toilet paper on fire, it burns up in 20 seconds and then... You, you need to start a new fire. Yeah, that's a really mm. bad plan. <laughs> now, jumping to sometime shortly after that event with Miss Carlson, Fish was living in an apartment at 409 East 100 Street. Now, nearby lived a 12-year-old boy by the name of Cyril Quinn. Now, Fish had been slowly grooming this boy for months by giving him candy, ice cream, and loose change he had. On this day in particular, Fish had just returned home from purchasing a newspaper when he spotted Cyril and his friend playing box ball on the sidewalk. I don't know what box ball is. Probably four square. Oh, okay. I used to love that game. Yeah. Now, Fish had been planning another atrocious murder like he had done to Billy Gaffney, and Cyril Quinn seemed to be his next target. Fish had purchased three items he would later refer to himself as implements of hell. <laughs> so edgy. Uh, and figured today was as good as day as any to test them out. Now, why exactly did Fish want to murder this boy? Well, he later claimed this Bible passage was driving him. Blessed is the man who correcteth his son in whom he delighteth with stripes for great shall be his reward. <laughs> or... Happy is he that taketh thy little one and dasheth their heads against the stones. Why, again, why is that in the Bible? Why are either of them? Are you supposed to kill your kids? I don't know. But anyway, like I said, he's really obsessed with the story of Abraham and Isaac. Mm-hmm. And according to Fish later on, he thought if he would kill one of these boys, that an angel should come down and try to stop him yep. if God didn't want him to do it. Yep. 
Which obviously we know that's not going to happen. No, it happened once and it <laughs> didn't happen. I hate to say, but mm. it did not happen. An angel came down once to stop a guy from killing his kid. I think that was this, it. I think that Abraham just was it. Abraham wanted to kill Isaac, right? Didn't want to. Well, thought he had to. But then I'm saying, let's let's take this to a normal person's perspective for the modern thing. He just wanted to kill his annoying kid, probably. Yes. And he got up to the point, he's like, ooh, I better, ooh, shit, this is, getting, this is getting a little much. <laughs> his wife comes in, and he's like, oh, no, God told me to do it. That's that's all, this is God. And she's like, oh, my God, God spoke to you? Holy shit. Whoa. And then you got a story in the Bible here. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Now, during the event we're about to talk about, I assume Fish is planning on murdering Cyril all along, but... This event happened after he had already been in contact with Edward Budd, who we're going to dive really far into in part three. So okay. just keep that in mind. It, it's kind of weird. It's like he'd been grooming this boy, then Edward Budd came into the picture, and then he's like, well, I can still kill this boy, but if this boy doesn't work, I have Edward Budd to fall back on. He's got which contingencies. Is, yeah. As you can see, he's just constantly <sighs> grooming kids. He's constantly like, he's a fucking predator, man. <sighs> No, anyway, so Fish yelled out of his apartment window, asking the boys if they had eaten yet. Mm. Why don't you come up and have some food? Naturally, the boys agreed and headed up. When they came in, Fish was sitting in the kitchen, slicing bread and cheese for a couple sandwiches. Not the best sandwiches. You gotta have meat on there, dude. Yeah, that would be better. <laughs> I probably didn't have mayo or mustard either, right? Just bread and cheese? I guess you gotta eat what you can. Have but... your shitty bread and warm <laughs> cheese. Now, Cyril and his friend decided to start wrestling on Fish's bed while awaiting their sandwiches. I don't know why they're wrestling on his bed. I really hate to victim blame here. <laughs> yeah. After the boys' wrestling got a little more intense, they rolled to the floor laughing and having a good old time. Until they stopped a moment and noticed what was sitting underneath of Fish's bed. It was his complete set of the implements of hell. <laughs> After this... With a look of pure, pure fear and panic, both of the boys immediately dashed out of the apartment. Oh, they were able to get out. Yeah, they saw all the shit under the bed, and they're like, boom, out of Later. there. Later. So it's good of them. They they were like, Mr. Fish, are you just planning a crafting e exhibition later? Like They're like, no, we need to get the fuck out of here. We'll talk about what exactly the implements of hell are on part three. Good. Uh, now, Fish's sadistic plans for Cyril were completely fouled at this point, but like I've said, yeah. Fish was already had the wheels of motion for Edward Budd that we're going to be covering. Edward Budd, the Budd family, all the crazy goddamn letters he sends after that. His eventual downfall and execution on part three. So good. good. It's going to be a very long one. It's a lot longer than I thought next week, but uh, it's kind of like the story everybody knows is the Bud family. Yes. And them interacting with him. And then all it's the definitely weird... the most famous one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But like I said, I think the Billy Gaffney <sighs> confession is brutal. Like, that letter that is, is brutal. That letter is a horror. Yeah. It is a horror. Yeah, so, but we got through, I would say, probably the worst part. Yeah, this is the Gold Star episode, yeah, probably. Yeah, you got the two two kids being murdered. Next week, it's, uh, you know, we kind of know what happened. We cut it in half. Yeah, Just one so, kid murdered. Mm -hmm. It's that, and then probably be like, the first half is Grace Bud, and the second half is the... The letters that he sends with the lots of peewees and Monkey. monkeys and uh. 
sucking asses and oh, everything else. God, yeah. he's just a gross cretin. All right, good job. Really great job on part <laughs> Thank two, you. Cody. Good Thank job. Thank you. Uh, if you guys liked it, go ahead and email us at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. As always, follow us on Twitter at bumblebuttpod, Facebook and Instagram at bumblebuttpodcast. Before we get to the iTunes reviews, which I know we have plenty of, hell yeah, let's talk about that Patreon. Patreon.com slash bumblebuttpodcast. Get in on any level. We have two series of Patreon-exclusive podcasts right now, Sasquatch and Mothman. With more to come in the very near future. Absolutely. So get on, get your postcards, get a sticker, get a shirt, do mm, all that shit. You got shit. everything. Or if you'd like just a shirt, contact us on Instagram, uh, email us. Instagram or email, you can get a shirt. We'll get you hooked up with payment. It's Hell so yeah. simple, boys. Yeah. So I, simple. I, I've been lacking, but I'm going to make a post about it this week, so... So it's out there. Excellent. That's so good. All right. Now it's time for the most important part of the show, at least if you ask Cody, the iTunes reviews. Hell yeah. We got two more. Beautiful. Two more five stars. I believe only one of them is written. That's what I believe as well. Um, it is from H. Bowie. Mm-hmm. Uh, two thumbs up. I cannot recommend these guys enough. They keep me laughing through my workday. Es- episodes are well-researched and in-depth, which I appreciate. I can't get enough of the Minnesota accents. Keep it up, boys. <laughs> I don't know why. It's funny because we don't notice it, obviously, right. but man, apparently we stick out like a sore goddamn thumb. That's, uh, I guess that's what happens <laughs> when yeah. you're uh, just, when you're Canada's skin tag, I guess. I was going to say, we could immigrate to Canada. Nobody would even notice we were American. <sighs> I've, I've heard a few stories about Banff, Canada up there, and it's uh, like a beautiful tourist destination, but people are like, Canadians are chasing Americans out of there with guns and shit. Like, get get on. Really? They don't you ain't want us po- there. You ain't supposed to be here. Because <laughs> you're not. You're why bu- not? We're not supposed to be in Canada. We don't have... Oh, right now you yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these people that are staying there for like four or five days, their excuse is that they're on their way to Alaska. They're just, stay- they're just stopping over and then they're going to Alaska. Yeah, that's quite a jaunt. Bullshit. From, from the lower 48 to Alaska. That's a long goddamn drive. Not to mention stopping in Banff. It's like, no, come on. Get out of here, boy. We can't get our coronavirus under control, so we should not be there. Nope, absolutely. No, but I am seeing, in Minnesota at least, a lot of people wearing masks. So It's good. It's that's good. That's very good. Thank you for doing that. It's I not haven't, that hard. I haven't had to see any freakouts in the store. Pretty much every store I go in... If somebody walks in without a mask, immediately whoever's working there will say, mask. And then they'll either say, oh shit, it's in my car because they forgot, or they'll just leave. I haven't seen any freakouts. The only people I've seen who haven't had their mask on is old people, and they uh. should be the most worried about it. Uh. I saw an old man, well, I'll talk about it on the Bumble, All right. the old man I saw. All right, let's get this bitch out of here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jordan, we will see you sometime, I hope. Thank you, Jordan. That'll be Cody. Thank you, Cody. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. My name's Adam, and that's been all of us here at Bubble Up Podcast. We'll see you next week, and have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday. I never know what Jordan says, but he says something here. Skiggle up.